Top stories in the news at this hour. President Ford and Soviet Ambassador Bill Brennan held an important meeting in Washington today. The House has voted to change bankruptcy laws to help cities which default. And Governor Kerry sets a very tough program for New York State. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next schedule news at 11 o'clock over WOR, Radio 710, The Talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard.
You can hear the crew. That's the crew talking as they, as they trim the sail. The crew, by the way, consisted of a Barbadian, a Grenadian, a man from Grenada, and uh, one from, uh, I believe he was also a Barbadian. I think there were two Barbadians and one man from Grenada. And then the captain, who was a public school educator, a romantic Englishman. Cut from the cut from the mold of Sir Francis Chichester and Alan Brillier, who had sailed this very vessel, by the way, across the Atlantic using nothing but the but the wind and a sextant to guide him and a couple of charts. Isn't that a great sound? This is recorded. I. I dropped the mic down near the water line, and this was recorded while we were sailing between Dominica or Dominica, depending on how, what part of the island you come from. Uh, as we were sailing north towards Guadalupe. Force five winds, by the way, the ship was treading before the winds at about 11 or 12 knots, which is very, very fast. But wind-driven sailing vessel. You <laughs> She was heeled over at about a 45-degree angle, and everybody aboard her was clinging to dear life to the salt-drenched decks. And, and, and just about the time I recorded this, a flying fish flew aboard. She landed in the cockpit. Gorgeous silver and blue fish, which is a great delicacy in Barbados, by the way. Fish, you wouldn't like that. <laughs> I personally think it's a gorgeous breakfast. Okay. Now we'll give you a little more of that sound later on. And and at just about that time when we when we came into the we came into the harbor of the anchorage in Martinique, we stopped in Martinique for a while. Beautiful. Martinique has to be one of the most beautiful islands in the Windward Islands. And it's very, very French. Uh, there's no way for me to describe the Frenchness of it because, in fact, I'll say this about it, it's more French. Now, this, may, this may sound a little contradictory, but it is more French than many parts of France today. And I'll tell you why. It's not just uh, idle uh, chatter here. But uh, France, like all parts of Europe, and in fact the Western world, has become somewhat standardized because we all have the same shell stations. Uh, many of the same television shows are watched uh, throughout Europe that we see. Believe it or not, they get uh, they get canon over there. <laughs> and uh, and it, but the world has become more or less standard. But uh, in the far southern reaches of the Caribbean, uh, the civilization that we know in many areas has more or less passed them by. And uh, they remained pure. And uh, the island of Martinique was settled uh, around 200 years ago by order of Emperor Napoleon. He sent uh, some uh, Norman and Breton farmers to uh, settle this island after they had taken possession of it in an attempt to create the French civilization down there and to provide food and uh, income for the empire. 
Well, the, the uh, farmers have remained. Uh, of course, Napoleon's empire has gone, but what remains are the, the uh, descendants of these uh, Norman and uh, Breton farmers, and they are very strange-looking people. How many of you remember a film years ago, a, a science fiction film? Many years ago, not, not that long ago, actually. It was uh, not that long ago. A color film. It was a good film. Uh, one of the better films, uh, science fiction type things, where a race of people uh, lived uh, wandering above the earth, and below them was a race of evil people, of evil creatures. Uh, and uh, <laughs> do you recall such a film? Yeah. I'm sorry. The Eye of the Saint, not Martinique. Yield the Saint. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I was jumping ahead. But Martinique itself is very French. And uh, all, in fact, they're all part of the same group. Uh, the Yield the Saint, Martinique, Guadalupe, are all very French. All three of these. But the Yield the Saint, which is, is called, better called the Saints, the island of the Saints, there are two tiny islands that are like, uh, well, I can only say they're, uh, if, you, if you saw a cross-section of the ocean, if I were to if I were to show you the ocean, cross-section, and you see the bottom of the ocean, right? And then you see the surface of the sea up above. Well, this is a really deep ocean down there. The, the, the depths of the ocean in that area range around, oh, uh, as deep as uh, 1,500 fathoms. That's deep. Figure it out. A fathom is six feet. <laughs> so multiply it there on your little 1495 uh, Macy's. Texas Instrument Special Calculator, and you'll find it's a lot of water. It, uh, it ranges uh, from anywhere from 1,000 fathoms, which is 6,000 feet, to uh, 1,500 fathoms. Now, these islands are, are long, thin gouts of, uh, of volcanic rock that come from the bottom of the sea and come all the way up. If you can imagine a needle coming right up through the sea. It's very weird looking. It looks like, looks like a cross-section of a molar. Uh, with, the, with the root canal, and you see this little, it's like, a, it's like a needle of soil. It's not really soil, it's rock, it's volcanic rock, coming right from the seabed, right up to the top of the, the water, right to the surface, and it just jets above the surface. That's it, a little round thing on the top. Well, that is, uh, that is where these islands look. So if you, if you take a, a little rowboat and you row out from the island about, Three or four hundred yards, right below you now is six, maybe six, seven thousand feet of water. Theory. Uh, we generally think of the sea as being a gradual thing, you know, and when you, like our, our ocean, for example, surrounding America, if you were to go out, the, the uh, in fact, our captain said that you can almost tell where you are in relationship to the North American continent by how deep the water is. And it just, it's just a gradual, slow rising of the sea bottom until finally there's the continent. But these islands are not like that. These islands just jut right out of the sea, and the sea is immensely deep at that point. Well, now, Martinique, uh, to give you an idea of, uh, of the kind of uh, volcanic activity of there, Martinique is, is, uh, has some huge mountains on it, that uh, four or 5,000 feet above the surface, of course. And uh, these mountains are volcanic and still active. Mount Pele, for example, uh, is, is, a, is a tremendous volcano, which in 1902 really, uh, really did it. 
In 1902, one of the great disasters of the uh, of the world, recorded history, occurred in 1902 on a quiet Sunday morning when people were in church and and uh, the the town of uh, of uh, what is the town there again? I've forgotten. Uh, what? All right, she just says it. It sounds like she said King Kong's friend is what it looks like, but that's not the name of the town. <laughs> I can assure you. Although King Kong, yeah, Saint Pierre. I'm sorry, Saint Pierre is in 1902 was a big industrial town. Uh, they they had all kinds of industry going on there. They they made uh, among other things they made furniture from teak and tropical woods. They had uh, a thriving industry in uh, in uh, various uh, tropical products and, and it was a it was a seaport of great. Uh, great distinction, and had uh, thousands of inhabitants. The pictures of the town would amaze you. In 1902, you'd think of, uh, this would be a tiny fishing boat. It was not. It was a big town. Had uh, had been there for a couple of hundred years and more, and uh, very old, uh, heavy stone buildings of European style. Uh, the cathedral was there, and uh, they had a uh, really thriving community there. Well, all of a sudden, uh, on Sunday morning, it just like that, uh, Mont Pelé, which is right behind Saint Pierre, uh, it, uh, it erupted. Now they had known for a couple of weeks that there was some action going on there, but one thing and another, they just did nothing about it. Just like human beings all over, just like us here, like in New York, for years we've been warned of approaching financial disaster. And uh, what do we do? Well, we just pulled around and built more little funnies out in the park and had uh, <laughs> more little ding dongs going on until one day. Zap, the roof fell in, and everybody screamed like bloody murder. But they all knew about it. Everybody, everybody knew. Every every politician for the last fifteen years has warned us, right? What did we do? Nothing. We kept the party going. Well, that's what happened in Saint Pierre. And uh, anyway, suddenly, pow! This thing went off, and the people were not uh, inundated by lava, which is what had happened in. Uh, in other parts of the world where great volcanic eruptions occurred. For example, uh, uh, Pompeii, where lava just flowed right down into the city and just completely covered it with ash. Now, these people were all destroyed, 32,000 people, just like that, one split second. That actually, the, the entire population was destroyed, they say, in about 40 seconds, roughly. Uh, enormous gases, and in fact, the heat was so intense, tremendous heat, the heat was so intense in those moments that they had dug up uh, artifacts. For example, uh, somebody had had a, a pile of chinaware, china, I mean, talking about china dishes. The heat was so intense, if you can imagine this, the china melted and fused, and you could see seven dishes piled one on top of the other, but they're a solid mass. Imagine the heat that would melt China. Uh, dishes on, uh, on the tables, glassware, for example. There was a, uh, I saw a goblet that had been on somebody's table at the instant this hit, and the goblet melted as if it was made out of wax. And poisonous gas, it was all over in a split second. The people didn't know what hit them, actually, and there was only one survivor of the entire Holocaust in the entire city of 32,000 people. All the buildings, everything was destroyed. One survivor. And guess where he was? The slam. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, maybe there's a lesson in that because I don't know quite what the lesson is. I don't know whether I like to look at it, but he he was in the he was in the in the in the pokey. and uh, he you know he wasn't a criminal or anything, but he'd been uh, it was Saturday night, it had been the night before, and he'd gotten a little hassle down at the bar, and two or three guys were swinging beer bottles and one thing and another, and they dragged him into the into the slam, and he was in the in the in the in the pokey. Well, that just so happened that their jail was built directly behind. The church there. There was a big church. The remains still still are there. You can walk over this town and see it. You can see the buildings. They, they kept it just the way it was. And there are ruins just jutting up out of the out of the ground everywhere you go. A statue, for example, that was in front of the theater is still laying there on the ground. A statue uh, of a full blown uh, uh, girl uh, wearing diaphanous gowns of the. Of the late uh, Oscar Wilde period. And it's all there. But he is underground. The jail had been built into the side of a hill with part of a foundation dug down into the ground, and he was in a cell. The only one in the cell. He was the only guy in the slam that morning. And bam, this thing went off, and he survived. And uh, became world famous. In fact, he traveled around the world with the Ringling Brothers Circus at that point. Being the only man who survived this great, fantastic Holocaust. Even he, though, being underground, his the back was tremendously scarred from the searing, fantastic heat which roared into his cell for a moment. He did not know what had happened. He was in the cell. Next thing he knows, there was a tremendous roar, and he was knocked out. And uh, luckily enough, the, the bars, to show you how rough this was, the bars, the heavy bars of his cell, had been literally disintegrated ripped right off and gone. So when he came to, apparently the theory is that he'd been sleeping it off, actually, and was lying under his concrete bunk because it was cool. And he was sleeping it off. And uh, had he been sleeping on top of the bunk like he should have been or walking around in his cell, uh, he would have been gone too. But he was under the bunk and zapped power. That was it. Everything was all over. He woke up and, you know, well, he must have had some head. He woke up and uh, his cell was, uh, was disintegrated. Anyway, this was on the island of Martinique. It's, uh, I'm probably telling you something you very well know yourself. This is WOR New York, and we will be back with more arguments and notes of this fantastic voyage which we took last week, retracing the uh, ports of call, certain ports that Columbus called at. How we did it is the way he did it. We did it in a sailing vessel. This particular vessel, it was a spectacular ocean-going racing vessel named the Celestial. We'll be back immediately following this blast of contemporary civilization. <laughs> uh, okay, you got an idea what Martin and Saint-Pierre is like. However, uh, however as, we were, as we were hurling our way through the seas, I got fascinated by these, these, these professional, you know, professional crewmen who... Uh, by the way, it's a very good job for, for a guy down there who can get himself a job crewing on one of these boats because not only does it pay comparatively well compared to the you know, incomes of the natives in that area, but it also is steady and exciting. When you're uh, careening through the seas on a, on a magnificently designed vessel, the only thing I can take this with what? Close to, was close to flying. But flying in a very special type of aircraft, I'm not talking about flying on a 707. I'm talking about perhaps flying on a, uh, on a, some kind of a converted fighter plane, possibly. This is a total piece of 
of uh, functional machinery. Uh, thousands of years of uh, ship experience and design goes into one of these vessels. If you were to buy one like the one we were on, built in 1970 and built in England, it was called an Ocean 71. There are only 10, of, or rather 14 of this particular type that are still that are extant, that have been bought, paid for, and are out, out in the sea doing their thing. One uh, had floundered. One, uh, one went down uh, when she uh, struck a reef a couple of years ago, which is never the ship's fault. <laughs> when one strikes a reef, it's like coming in for a landing with your gear up. It ain't the plane that did it, buddy. It's you. But, and uh, if, uh, if you trust this uh, piece of equipment, you'll go well. If you don't, you're in trouble. It takes a it takes a strong constitution to sail on one of these. Really, it's not for everybody. But if you are of the type that you can do it, it's an unforgettable experience sailing in those beautiful waters and in the area of Guadeloupe and Martinique and and the Saints and and uh, just just uh, letting it all hang out. Now, I would say that the crew, uh, <laughs> the crew are usually guys about 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, I'm talking about the mostly black, very, very fantastically talented at what they do, and uh, extremely uh, agile. And tell you, these guys, uh, these guys uh, make Olga Corbett look a little bit like your grandmother, you know, the one that has to have the heat pads on her knees. Uh, these guys swing. And uh, one of them, uh, Jimmy, was, uh, was from Barbados, or rather from Grenada. Grenada is an island. I've been on Grenada a couple of times. Very special island. If you've ever seen the, the film, Island in the Sun, uh, an old Belafonte film, it's about Grenada. Very special world, Grenada is. And they have their own little local desktop working there now. But uh, it's a beautiful island, one of the most beautiful islands in the world. And the people are among the most uh, outgoing, uh, uh, incandescent smiles. They really do, and, and uh, you can tell a Grenadian, even, even uh, other islanders recognize a Grenadian immediately by the soft way he speaks. It's, a, it's an island that has the British antecedents and a soft way of talking and uh, absolutely a brilliant personality. And uh, so while he was working, he was swinging back and forth. Jibby was about 18 or 19, swinging back and forth, trimming the sails, and the captain was barking out orders, and he would, he would work a winch. And all the while... He was muttering. He was singing these songs to himself. And uh, and when I asked him why, you know, well, how come he sings like this? He said, keep, uh, keep me lively. Keep me, uh, keep me lively. <laughs> the song keeps him lively. And here, so I finally says, how about singing for me? So he says, okay. So here's Jibby last week. As uh, we just pulled in, at the, uh, this was recorded just after we had uh, dropped our anchor in... Uh, I believe it was in the Saints, in fact. We had just dropped the anchor in the Saints, the, uh, the, the tiny uh, French fishing village. We were just lying at anchor there waiting for something to eat. We were fixing something down in the galley. And uh, you can hear Jibby singing. You'll notice the soft accent of the Grenadian. And here's the way he sang. If you want back my love, you can be you're beating up a rhythm. And if you want back my love, it is me. Let's see, he's making a sound of the band, 
and all flourishing in the greatest perfection according to the respective stages of growth and the nature and quality of each. Yet the islands are not so thickly wooded as to be impassable. The nightingale and various birds were singing in countless numbers that in November, the month in which I arrived there. There are besides uh, fruits, seven or eight kinds of palm trees, which like all other trees, herbs, and fruits, considerably surpass ours in height and beauty. Uh, and he was, he was impressed by the beauty of these islands, as they are really gorgeous. Uh, probably some of the most beautiful real estate in the world are these islands. Uh, the saints especially are just beautiful. Uh, the saints are tiny islands which lie between Martinique and Guadeloupe and are actually islands that the people who live on Guadeloupe go to for their vacations. Extremely French. And the... Uh, the natives have, a, have an odd, curious look about them. The people who live there, that are, that are uh, descendants of the Breton and Norman farmers, they're, I, I don't want to say white, I don't want to say black. They're a curious golden color. And their hair has an odd, a golden, a curly quality to them. And they have sharp, aquiline features. And they, they kind of shuffle along and they wear uh, their sandals and they live in these this little tiny French village, which is so French that uh, it's, it's, in fact, more French than contemporary fishing villages uh, along the coast of France. It reminds me very much of parts of the south of France in the, uh, in the area of, uh, oh, probably uh, Cap d'Antibes, little fishing villages. And, uh, and as we walked up the hill, looking down on the bay, way down below us, we could see our ships lying at anchor down there, and there was a four-masted schooner that must have been at least uh, 75 or 100 years old lying at uh, anchor down there, and she later departed. Some uh, local uh, has restored an, an old, old sailing vessel. It looked like uh, something right out of uh, possibly Melville, out of that period. But later than Columbus, but certainly much earlier than uh, the QE2, and <laughs> she had departed. But as we walked up uh, this long, winding road up towards the fort that uh, Napoleon had built 200 years ago, which is, incidentally, still in mint condition, including the armament, the kitchens, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the soldiers' quarters, and so on, as we walked up the hill, I couldn't, couldn't believe the flowers. The, the architecture is a kind of a very hip combination of, uh, of uh, let's say, early Caribbean and contemporary Malibu. Uh, in fact, it's the, it's, well, it's the kind of, uh, it's the kind of architecture that was later copied by people who built things like tropical paradises, uh, Malibu and Laguna Beach and so on. But, uh, these people all look out to sea, and one guy had a house, it was really wild, one guy had a house that looked like the bow of a steamer, pointed out to sea, and it jetted out like that, with portholes. In fact, even an anchor chain hanging down. And he had an anchor on the front there of this thing. And uh, every morning, apparently, he would come out to the bow of his concrete ship and uh, sit down and drink Pernod and uh, eat pears or something and be as decadent as only the French can. Uh, <laughs> but as you, as you went up through the, uh, the, winding, uh, the winding road, the little narrow coral road, thousands of uh, chickens and big, tough, beautiful-looking roosters presiding over their flocks, goats and uh, pigs uh, scurried back and forth and uh, native ladies wearing a curious hat 
that is worn only in that area, which looks a little like Chinese. And it comes in two pieces. It fits down over the head, and there's a big drooping brim that comes down, very stiff. And uh, they, were, they were gossiping away, uh, curious golden people speaking uh, a French uh, that probably is closer to the Napoleonic French than is spoken in Paris today. But the flowers, you just couldn't believe the, uh, the fantastic flowers everywhere on that particular island. Apparently, volcanic soil really does something to, uh, to verdant, luxurious trees. Fantastic growth. But way down below us, as we went higher and higher up to this winding, twisting road, just walking, just walking around. After we'd had that, a little aperitif down there in the native bistro, drank a little, uh, it's a curious combination, a little red vin ordinaire, which had been brought from France in a jelly glass. So <laughs> you, get, you get the combination of the, of the primitive and the elegant. It's a curious combination. So we looked down, way down below us, we could see the Celestial riding an anchor with the Venturamo, another ship that was with us. And uh, the other one, the third one that was to join us, had not yet arrived. It was still beating in to the island from somewhere down to the south of us, because we were on the fast one. But the, the gorgeous sunset as the, as the sun uh, was, was going down over the hills, and you, you know that uh, you just know that this must have knocked Columbus right out uh, to see these fantastic islands and the Carib Indians, which are on another island, I'll tell you about that tomorrow. They're the last of a long race. This is uh, WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.